Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. And yeah, if you'd like to connect with us or learn more, jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, before we get going, I just want to encourage you, will you take a moment and just pause really quick? Every week um, at the end of the teaching, we always participate in communion. And so I would love for you to go grab uh, a small glass of grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, just a glass of juice. If you don't have that, if you just have water, that's okay. Um, It's all about remembrance. And so grab that, uh, a small little piece of bread or a cracker, something that you have, and join us as we participate in communion at the end. And so we feel like there's There's no greater application at the end of listening to God's word than allowing the spirit to unify us through communion and remembering what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment, pause, go grab that. Now that you're back, will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together. Thank you, Jeremy. I get to work with some great people. That is fun. It's no, uh, no lack of laughter. That is... For sure. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. We are in uh, our sixth of six weeks, sort of. We're kind of going to add one next week, but six of uh, six primary weeks in the, the midst of our trusting Jesus practice. Last week, we talked about uh, trusting Jesus with your time. Uh, today, we'll talk about trusting Jesus with your stuff. And it, and it was funny, last week, I got an email after uh, Sunday, I don't remember what day it was, Monday or Tuesday, and somebody had went on Amazon to purchase uh, a book I referenced called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, right here. And on the email they sent me, they, they showed that on Amazon, Amazon was like, you could have this instantly if you get the Kindle version. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Get it instantly. That was funny, but it's ironic. There's this endless pursuit of what we can have now. It's real without even necessarily recognizing it or or grabbing a hold of it. And so this morning, we will be talking about what it looks like to trust Jesus with your stuff. And and kind of as has been the case throughout this series, uh, there's A lot of different sermons I actually want to give this morning as I've studied and prayed. We probably could have broken down each one of these uh, weeks in our Trusting Jesus practice into its own series. And so specifically, I have three sermons for this morning, but I'm only allowed to uh, give one, but I'm going to kind of cheat. So I'm going to give you two sermons in like a phrase and one minute each, two minutes, two sermons, very efficient. And then... We'll get to the real sermon. Sermon number one on trusting Jesus with your stuff has to do with hospitality. So when we say stuff, that can mean trusting Jesus with your space, your home, uh, where you live. And we did a whole practice and sermon series on hospitality. But part of trusting Jesus with our stuff means trusting him with our space, which means being hospitable. The, the scriptures talk so much about hospitality to the foreigner, to your enemy, to your neighbor, to your friends, to your family. There's something unbelievably significant when two people sit down together at a table and share a meal. Bridges are, are built 
Uh, relationships are mended, divisions are done away with, so much healing and health comes, and we see Jesus model this again and again and again, when people just share meals together. So sermon number one, be hospitable, Jesus says to do it, you can read it in the Bible, or you could uh, go and check out our past practice. Sermon number two, stewardship. There is nothing you have that you have earned all on your own. We are stewards or managers not owners. And you might be thinking, well, no, I've worked really hard. I don't doubt that for a second. But the reality is you were just born someday with a set of skills and gifts and abilities and this thing called breath in your lungs that you did nothing to earn. And without those things, you couldn't work hard and you couldn't have a job and you couldn't have stuff. And so part of trusting Jesus with our stuff is this transition from a a clenched fist owner mentality to going, Everything I have is not mine. I am a steward. I am a manager of what has been given to me, and I'm supposed to make something good out of it, to bless others with it, to enjoy it myself, too. But I don't get to grip it. I open-handedly give and be generous, and, and we'll talk about that more. Two sermons down, one to go. The next one will be slightly longer, though. So, uh, Stuff. When I talk about trusting Jesus with your stuff, I I really have three categories in mind. Trusting Jesus with your space, being hospitable, trusting Jesus specifically with your finances, and then trusting Jesus with your things. We have a lot of things. Uh, Storing all of our stuff has become a billion-dollar industry in the last two decades because we have a whole lot of stuff. And the scriptures will often kind of package those three things, your things, your money and finances, and your space into this word possessions. And so when we read that today in Mark chapter 10, that word possessions, you can think about your space, you can think about your money, and you can think about your things. And right out of the gate, I want to kind of put this out there. You might have a lot of possessions. You might have hardly any possessions. Either way, this matters. It might be uh, in relation to wanting more. It might be in relation to not knowing how to manage what you have. But stuff plays a significant role in our lives. So with that said, Mark chapter 10. Uh, We'll begin in verse 17. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. This man is enthusiastic. It is not appropriate or normal. It's actually considered somewhat humiliating to run in this way, in this cultural moment. But this man runs, and then he doesn't just stop there. He actually kneels down before Jesus. He's a willing learner. He's passionate. He's devoted. He's religious. He has questions. He he is doing whatever is needed Uh, to to approach Jesus in this moment because he believes that Jesus has something, whatever it is, good to be uh, taught or or handed down to him. And so it's with that in mind, it's going to be important. This guy is desiring it. He's not just making this one compartment, one side part of his life. He runs, he kneels, and says, good teacher to Jesus. Verse 18, Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, God. Why do you call me good? Jesus is not here saying that he is not good. He's not saying that he is not God. What he's saying, though, is that we have a tendency in our lives to pursue good things and mistake those good things or exchange them even for 
the one true source of all good. There's a lot of brilliant good things that God has created and wants us to delight in and enjoy and relationships and food and, and buildings and art and music and all kinds of pleasures and just good things in this world that God has provided. They're good. But there is only one source of all good, and that is Jesus. That's the Father. That is our creator. And Jesus is pointing that out, uh, somewhat foreshadowing what is to come. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, God. Then he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, those might sound familiar. They're the, the second half of the, the Ten Commandments or the second tablet of the second commandments. And notice they're all action-oriented. It's a specific do and do not do list. The, the first five are about the heart, really, and, and foundational spiritual issues. These are action steps. And I imagine this rich, young ruler being like, oh, this is great, because I understand that. He, he says, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. He's ecstatic. Uh, Jesus is throwing him a softball to hit, because he's going, I've done all of this since the time I was a boy, so I must be good to go. And I read this, I started processing. I wonder if this guy, this rich young ruler, as he's referred to in the scriptures, showed up and gathered with us on a Sunday morning. What would he look like? What would he drive? What would his uh, presence be like? What, what would that experience be like? I like to ask those kinds of questions as we process the scriptures. And so I text a bunch of different people about it. Ron had a, a very uh, good, descriptive answer. He said this, not sure, but he'd have a fresh cut from Founding Fathers, which happens like clockwork every 10 days, with carefully styled hair product in place. He'd be clean, but not necessarily clean shaven. He's tired enough from keeping up that he's opted not to shave every day, and plus this helps him fit in, which he longs for, but at the same time, he's longing to be better than everyone else. He's wearing jeans, a button-down collared shirt, and unblemished designer Nike or Doc Martin shoes. To the untrained eye, this outfit can be had for $40 at Target. But to the discerning, the jeans cost $200 from Nordstrom, the shirt was over $100 from a trendy new online-only company, and the shoes cost more than his grandfather used to make in six months. He carries his latest iPhone in his hand. It often catches on a pure silver thumb ring. One, to show he has the latest model, and two, to show that he is constantly needed. I think he'd drive a black Range Rover with blacked out rims and windows on weekdays and a red Audi R8 on weekends. I also asked Nate. Nate did not work quite as hard as Ron in his description. Nate just sent me this photo. <laughs> Jeans in a black car is a theme, though, so... I don't know. And then Ben Baker, one of our elders, definitely the, the holiest of our elders and most wise, he's been in Prescott the longest, so I thought he would have a really good kind of picture. And he thought this would be the, the rich young ruler. So I really don't know about the biblical model of elders. And thank God Jesus is trustworthy, because I have a lot of other questions. But I was processing this. Here's what I think. 
I think Jesus, I was about to say, I think Jesus would be just like us. He's not like us. That's good news. I think the rich young ruler, plus or minus possessions, money, wealth, and a Tesla, most of us wear jeans, would be just like us. He's kind of the the idea of what a lot of people would like in church. He follows the rules. He knows what to do and he does it. He knows what not to do and he avoids those things. He's probably been to all the Bible studies. He asks good questions. He even kneels down in worship. He's active. He's kind of the picture of what you might expect a a good quote-unquote churchgoer, whatever that means, would be. He said to Jesus, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Seems like he's on a good track. He's passionate. He's worshiping, willing learner, submissive. Verse 21. Then looking at him, by the way, this is going to be the most important verse of the whole passage. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him. Now, don't go past that. We need to pause here. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him. We can't go past that. Jesus looks. You and I have an ability to look at people and make some some judgments and questions. There's these things called first impressions. And oftentimes, first impressions are right. But we can't do it like Jesus did. Jesus looks, and he sees this man's story. He sees his struggles. He sees his sins, his temptations, his insecurities, his desires. He looks, and he sees. And then what? He loves. Jesus looks. And then Jesus loves. Also, when Jesus looks at you, Jesus then loves. There were no action steps. There wasn't a a to-do list before Jesus looking and then Jesus loving. There wasn't a pause. It was just Jesus saw. He looked and he loved. Now, the, the next part is pretty important, too. And it's something I don't think we understand or grasp or or like very much in our culture. But since Jesus loved him, he was willing to say hard things. In our culture, sometimes under the guise of some type of false love, we're not willing to say things that are hard, even when it's in the best interest of someone else. Not being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk, but it's actually quite unloving to say something nice when it's going to harm the person, when saying something that's honest and real can actually protect them from harm. And so Jesus looks at this man and his story, and then he loves. He sees every part of his story, and then he says something that's pretty challenging to him. Then, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, if you're somewhat normal, then at this point, inside of your head somewhere, you're probably asking the question I've asked, and most people ask internally at least, when they read this, does this mean that I need to go sell everything and give it to the poor so that I can quote unquote go to heaven or some variation of that? It's a natural question. If Jesus asks this guy to do it, is he asking all of us to do it? It's actually a good question. And my answer is probably not. I don't think, I can't say I know, but I don't think Jesus is asking you to go sell everything and give it all to the poor and then come and follow him. And I'll explain why I don't think he's asking that in a minute. 
But I want to pause because I don't want to undermine or devalue or even kind of de-escalate how significant this is. This rich young ruler in his jeans and black car ran up to Jesus, knelt down, asked this question out of sincerity, and then Jesus looks him in the eye. A real man, he looks in the eye and he says, you lack one thing, go. Sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That actually happened. Those words actually came out of Jesus' mouth from him to another person. That's significant. Can you imagine feeling that? Now, why did Jesus do that? Hear me out on this, please, because if you misunderstand this, bad things happen. This was not a prove-it moment. Jesus did not look at him and then go, love me, and then you'll get to go to heaven, and you'll find treasure and all these other things. Jesus didn't come up with some kind of if-then statement. If you go sell all your stuff, and then you give it to the poor, then I'll know you love me, and then you can have eternal life and be with me. There was nothing to prove and, and nobody to impress in this moment. I think that's where we go. But Jesus looked, and then Jesus loved, and then Jesus said. That sequence is critical. See, what's actually happening in this moment is Jesus looks, and then he loves. And because he loves, he, he looks into his heart and goes, there's something in you that's actually keeping you, obstructing you. It's a barrier between you and the love of the Father. Actually, it's a barrier that is keeping you from receiving the love of the Father. Actually, it doesn't have anything to do with giving in this moment. This man cannot receive the love of the Father that he wants. He wants to be in this loving relationship with God eternally, and he cannot do so because his life is so filled with the pursuit of and protection of and management of and probably anxiety about his stuff. Stuff in and of itself is not bad. In fact, it's good. It's part of the it is good God declared when he made. But, but stuff can be dangerous. Jesus looks into this man's heart and sees this barricade being built brick by brick, possession by possession, separating this man and the Father. The second tablet of, of the Ten Commandments, the second set of commandments in that, uh, of the Ten, deals all with the, the do's and do nots that are action steps. But this man had forgot his first love, the first command, the first part, which is the most critical in Exodus uh, chapter 20, we, we find the Ten Commandments. Yahweh God's giving them, and he says this. Do not have other gods besides me. The NIV, NIV says before me. In essence, do not put anything else that you will trust more than me besides or before me. Don't let anything separate you and I. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything, in the heavens above, or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. This man was religious, and he had it together. He was devoted and passionate. He worshiped well and knelt down. He did all the right things, and he avoided the wrong things. It would seem all good. And that can be the case for many of us. It can seem all good. We do the right stuff. But if the heart of the matter isn't right, nothing else matters. He forgot his first love, the first command, do not have any other gods before. Don't let anything else separate us. We go back to Mark chapter 10. 
Then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Here's the man's response. He was stunned at this demand and went away grieving because he had many possessions. Hear this. Grieving means you've lost something. Typically, it means it's not coming back. You're, you're, you're sad and sorrowful to the, to the core because something is gone. You grieve it. Grieving, he went away from Jesus. He turned around and rejected him. He chose something else. That also tells us that he valued Jesus. He is grieving the loss of what Jesus was offering, yet he chose something else and went away. Why? Because he had many possessions. It's not saying having many possessions is bad. But it was too much for this man to lose. Stuff, possessions, it's all good. Can bless other people, can bless you. You can delight in it. You can allow others to delight in it. It's not bad at all. God talks a whole lot about sometimes he blesses people with stuff. Sometimes people don't have a ton of stuff. Either way, that's not what is key here. What is key here is that this man wasn't willing to let go of it. Actually, this man came to a place where he trusted the good of his stuff more than he trusted the source of all good. He trusted the good of his stuff. And it is good. There's a lot of really good stuff in this world. Our God is a brilliant creator. And so it's actually not all our fault when we pursue something good and we put our trust in it. He made good things. Romans 1, uh, 25, Paul's writing to uh, a church in Rome of people like us, and he describes our human propensity to do this. He says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I don't know about you, but I am incredibly good, like mind-blowingly talented when it comes to trusting good things rather than the source of all good. And my guess is you are too. It's easier sometimes. It just makes sense. That's what the man here did. Again, brick by brick, possession by possession, and his heart, a barricade, was built. Jesus didn't say, you've done a bunch of things wrong. Now go make up for it and sell everything. Prove to me your love, and then I will love you. Had nothing to do with that. He's just saying, you're holding on to these things, and until you let go, you can't receive the love of the Father. So no, Jesus probably isn't telling you to go and sell everything. But he probably is asking you to to question, is there anything you're holding on to too tightly? One of the uh, commentaries uh, I read this week uh, framed it this way by a guy named Cranfield. We'll find that in a second here. For the fact that the man goes away with darkened countenance, is the sign that he has made his riches into an idol. Here's the key. From which it is too hard to part. So here's my question for you. Is there anything in your life? Are there any things? Is there any stuff? Are there possessions in your life from which it is too hard to part? Honestly ask that. My guess is they're really good things given by God. But someone some time ago said, good things become bad things when they become God things. Is there anything that is too dear to you to let go of? 
If so, maybe that's actually keeping you from receiving and embracing and engaging with the love of the Father, which ironically is what this man wanted anyway. But there was this anchor in his life, and it was his stuff. Stuff is not bad, it's good, but good things become bad things when they become God things. So what do we do with this? What does this actually mean? What does it look like to trust Jesus with our stuff? A couple thoughts on that. I think it probably looks like taking Jesus seriously when his word teaches us that stuff is good, but stuff is dangerous. Trusting Jesus with our stuff means taking him seriously when his word teaches us that stuff is good, but stuff is dangerous. The the scriptures talk a lot about it. I want to read just a couple of passages that describe this. Proverbs uh, 11, 28, which we just had up, uh, frames it this way. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Mark chapter 4, verse 19 is the the parable of, of seed being scattered. And Jesus says, but the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth, And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, Paul's writing to a leader in the church, and he says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, not grasping but giving, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. And then finally, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is not bad. Possessions are not bad. Stuff is not bad. In fact, it's good. But stuff is dangerous because we are really prone to exchanging, worshiping, and trusting the Creator for worshiping and trusting created things. You're going to have a lot of trust if your bank account is full. It's a lot easier to have a lot of trust in a new car than a broken down old car. It's just natural to trust good stuff. But are you making an exchange and trusting something good rather than the creator and source and only source, the one who's the creator of all things good? Is there anything in your life that you're clinching, holding, gripping, grasping to too tightly that's become too challenging to give away, to move from besides or before you somewhere else so that it's not in the way of following Jesus? Stuff is not bad, it's good. 
But stuff builds big walls. That's something we ought to be cautious with. So again, to be practical with this, I have two suggestions I think the scriptures lay out for us. Trusting Jesus with our stuff probably looks like forming an ongoing practice of generosity and gratitude. Trusting Jesus with our stuff probably looks like forming an ongoing practice of generosity and gratitude. Here's why. Practicing generosity and gratitude slowly but surely and continuously will protect you from building a barricade and a wall that will become before or besides you that will separate you from Jesus. It's this almost insurance and protection. And so let's talk about them one at a time. Generosity. What does it look like to form a practice of generosity? It means to give, to give graciously. And there's multiple different ways to do that. It probably does look like tithing. The the word tithe is interesting. It means 10%. And it comes from the Old Testament. And and God commanded his people to give 10% to the Levites, uh, the priests, and for what they did in the the culture and their nation. Here's why that number matters, actually, 10%. This is actually a healthy context for it. Because you feel 10%. It's picking up something heavy and giving it. It's actually picking up a, a big possession something that matters to you and is valuable, gripping it and moving it out of the way from being in between and separating you and Jesus. 10% is felt. It's significant. It's not everything, but it's a chunk. And over time, you can kind of do the math if you're good at math and go, wow, that adds up. There's a whole lot I would love to do with 10% over time. I think there's a reason Jesus... Guided, 10%. Now, you might be going, ah, oh, this guy just wants money for the church or whatever. Here's what I would say about that. If, if that's a thought that comes into your mind and heart, don't even consider giving to Restoration Church. Find somewhere else, someone else, something else to give to. Just have no questions about it. Give elsewhere. But God does something when we give. There's possessions that are built slowly but surely. And all of a sudden, for that man, it was too much to give up. But if we have a routine practice, an ongoing rhythm of picking up those possessions and saying, I don't want to let, I don't want to let, that's a good combination of words. I do not want to let or allow this wall and barricade to be built. So I'm going to pick up something I'll feel and I will move it. Well, then this idol is not built. This other God is not set before or besides to separate God and I. There's offerings above and beyond tithes. There's just seeing somebody in need and answering that need. Do you know someone in need that you can just bless? They have something serious going on. Maybe you can be the difference. That also requires being in relationship. That's why we make meals so important when we do social Sunday or we share meals at teams nights or we do a barbecue so that we can actually know what's going on in each other's lives, to take care of each other's needs, to celebrate with those that are celebrating, to mourn with those who are mourning. Because in this room, there's people that are mourning. (laughs) In this room, there's people that are celebrating. In this room, there's people that have plenty. In this room, there's people that have hardly anything. Called to be the church for one another. You can't do that if you don't know each other. Helping out when people are in need. Another is just to bless people graciously. 
Not out of need, but maybe you just want to provide something really good. What's something in your life that if it showed up tomorrow or someone provided an experience or opportunity, you would just be blown away and blessed by? Do that. Just bless somebody with something really great. Our God is a brilliant and great creator. Give something good. Not out of need, just to do it because our God delights in things that are good and excellence promotes worship. Generosity is one way to tear down this wall that builds up in between us and Jesus. Gratitude's the other side of the coin. Instead of giving, it's merely being thankful for what you already have. I shared about our, our family's Sabbath practice last week, and I've, I've shared this before, but we do this dumb little gratitude thankfulness circle uh, every Saturday as part of our, our Sabbath. And sometimes it's awesome, and it's like 30 minutes, and the kids get really deep, and it's incredible. Other times, it is ridiculous and really dumb and doesn't have any points. <laughs> Lasts about 30 seconds. Sometimes everyone shares something. Sometimes I'll have the kids go into the room for just like two minutes and go, hey, think about one thing that really stood out this week that you're thankful for. And slowly but surely, we're trying to just instill, first in us as parents, for Chelsea and I, but then in our kids, gratitude. This all doesn't just happen. We don't deserve this. We might work hard, but it all started with what God does could be here today and gone tomorrow, but we're going to practice being grateful because when I'm grateful, every time I'm doing something, by the way, gratitude takes time and time is pretty expensive. We talked about that last week. I'm picking up one of those possessions and moving it out of the way in between Jesus and I because I go, this isn't mine. It's open-handed. Thank you for what you've provided. I'm glad it's here today and if it's not tomorrow, I trust you. Write thankful or write thank you cards. There's all kinds of ways to practice gratitude, but generosity, an ongoing practice of generosity and gratitude, removes this barricade that we built. And here's the thing about our stuff it's kind of like weeds. It doesn't matter if you lay fabric down, if you spray it with a bunch of chemicals, if you pull it routinely, you hire a landscaping company to do it, eventually there will be more weeds. It just happens. You have to keep taking care of it and tending to it and maintaining it. Otherwise, it gets crazy. My house right now is crazy. <laughs> Our stuff is the same, slowly but surely, brick by brick, possession by possession, a wall is built, and all of a sudden you're numb to it, and then you want the love of God and the love of Jesus. And he's not saying, prove your love to me first. He's not saying, if you give, then I'll love you. He's just saying, your hands are full, gripping your stuff. And until you let go, you can't even receive the gift I'm trying to give of me. The man was stunned at this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples, too, were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying it is impossible. So they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Here's the good news. Looking at them, Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Here's the ending point. Here's the good news. We just present and go, God, I don't even know how to handle my stuff. But I'm pretty sure there's a good chance it's a barrier between you and I, and I want to trust you with it. He answers that. We don't have to be perfect with it. We don't have to, to know what to do with it. 
We just have to change our posture from a clenched fist gripping to an open hand giving and let him lead. You're probably not called to go sell all your possessions, but we are called not to let anything be before, besides, and in between separating us from the love of the Father, receiving, then to give it out. I want to close with a, a quote my mom sent me, I think, yesterday. It's uh, written by a guy named Timothy Stoner, and it's called The God Who Smokes. So my mom reads interesting books. Here's what it says. May you find your life in losing it. May you live your life by dying daily. May you give it all and keep nothing for yourself. May your treasure chest be filled to overflowing with priceless crowns of sacrificial devotion. May you give yourself away in a joyful and risky abandon. May you follow the lamb, even if he takes you up a hill and onto a brutal cross, especially if he takes you there. May you turn your back on safety and comfort and predictable and soft and pour yourself out like a drink offering of love on the least of these, on the most of these, for the death and the life of these. May you spend what you cannot keep to gain what you can never lose. May you awake to live his dream, not yours or your country's nor your family's. And may you rejoice to hear the applause, which is a weight of eternal glory too heavy to bear. This is a, a tall task, but may we be a people as a church that trust Jesus with our stuff, that are generous, that trust the one who's the source of all good, rather than our stuff that is good too. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you look and you love. There's nothing before that we have to do. You look, you see us, you know us, and you love. Holy Spirit, allow us to know that love and allow that love to work in our lives. We trust you, and when we don't, help us too. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are gonna respond uh, by taking communion. Um, I'm Kate, by the way. I'm one of the team members here, and I've been reading Exodus a lot late lately, been in that book. And um, I was reading about uh, when Moses turned the waters of the Nile into blood. And I just started thinking about how often the themes of water and blood come up in scripture. Um, we see it in the Old Testament uh, in that particular story, but also when Moses hit the rock and water came out, uh, we see all throughout the Old Testament, various blood sacrifices made for sin, um, various cleansing rituals uh, that the people or the priests had to go through. Um, and we see these themes continue into New Testament as well, right? Especially when we look at Jesus, right? So Jesus is called uh, the living water, and we go to him um, for refreshment and um, satisfaction. And then also, of course, the blood of the lamb is what covers over our sins. Um, and then it's interesting because we take communion and it's called the mark of the new covenant in scripture. And so covenant is this kind of um, relationship that's very official. Um, a covenant is a commitment. And so as we take commun commu communion, sorry, we are just celebrating that official commitment that we have with Jesus and how his blood does cover
cover over our sins. So if you're a believer, I'm gonna invite you up. When Nate and the team start playing music here, you can grab the elements, take them back to your seat. And then I would just ask you to remember. Uh, another thing that we see again and again in scripture is remember, remember. So remember what he's done for you and then go ahead and take of those elements when you're ready. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a, a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really want to encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. Um, and I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.